Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 22nd of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a <laughs> few weeks. Um, you know, the schedule is probably not going to be as consistent as it used to be. Uh, certain things in life get in the way, you know, having three kids and working and such. Um, and Cam, you've been incredibly busy yourself. So um, we try to get these in when the schedules uh, line up. And today, fortunately, on a Friday afternoon heading into the weekend, uh, we're here to talk uh, with about the Mike Babcock firing, something that we've mentioned as something that should happen in the past, but it actually went down the other day. And we have a lot of Penguin stuff to talk about because I don't think we've, gosh, I, what was our last date? October or something? Uh, when they actually had a roster minus Gino. Now it's like they only have Gino and no roster. And no Crosby and no Latang. So, yeah, so we're going to right off the bat, Mike Babcock, Toronto really struggling, not in a playoff spot, not doing well. So it wasn't like the players are grumpy, they don't like the style they're playing, but they're still pumping out some wins like they've been the last few years. They legitimately were struggling, miserable, and no um, no correction in sight. No, well, it was one way or the highway. And, and the team wasn't constructed to go that particular way that the coach wanted. And it just it frustrates me that that man gets away with so much. And maybe finally with Toronto giving him the arse rather than him saying, oh, no, I'm going to leave and I'm going to be in control of my, my future and stuff. And he's gone. And that's all that matters, I think, for Toronto fans. Even if you don't win, you're going to have a much better product to watch the last three quarters of the year than you have been. And that's the other part of this. Um, I know we we focus a lot about the winning and, and building towards the championship part at times. But at the end of the day, like, you got to want to watch the games. And, and Toronto has a really good collection of players that I think are worth watching. But the way they've been structured and the way they've been told to play, not only is it boring, but it wasn't working. So what worse thing in a in an entertainment business than to have something that stinks and it's boring? And that's what they had going on. So I'm all for this, um, obviously. Anybody who's <laughs> ever listened to the podcast knows exactly where we both stand on this one. So... I, he I, just asks. He just asks too many players to second guess themselves because he's Mike Babcock. He has this massive aura over him that oh, he's a coaching god. He what he says obviously must work. So you see players. Tyson Barry is probably the best example. I don't think I've seen a player go from being what he was to what he currently is purely based on the fact that he is overthinking the game. And, and you know, not, not an age fall off. Not... No, yeah, literally about to say that. You see guys fall off the map and all that due to age or injury, all that sort of stuff. This is none of that. No, it was... Um... Like, that's the prime off-season acquisition 
to be a certain kind of player, and then you wreck him. I mean, Kyle Dubas did not want Mike Babcock. No. Over the offseason. I guarantee if they gave him the green light, he would have broke separate ways then. Um, the way Toronto works, they have kind of that corporate, a lot of hands, um, cooking kind of thing. Where you have does he have, does he have to get a majority of off of the board to say, yes, get rid of the asshole? Something like that. It's not like... Yeah, okay. Like, if Jim Rutherford wanted to fire Mike Sullivan tomorrow, um, if if he felt strongly enough about it, I think he could. I don't think Lemieux would be like, nope. I think with Toronto, with Mike Babcock, it was... We, we, we all need to kind of be on board with this one, but when they're boring and not winning, it was really easy to do that. Uh, but you could tell the, the roster moves... The Lamarillo-Babcock moves, Dubas started undoing them. He had to waste some assets to do so. First-round pick for Marlowe, and Zaitsev contract, um, they had to acquire CC for that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I still think that's one of the biggest mistakes Dubas has made. Not the trading away of Zaitsev for CC. I, I just don't understand why they needed to keep Cody CC and boy, Jake Gardner would sure look a hell of a lot better on that roster for that money. Yeah. It's nuts. So, I mean, even Dubas, who I think has a very good process, he's going to make GM mistakes. I think that was probably one of them, but well, they are human. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you trade away Nazem Kadri. Part of that's probably just being frustrated that the, the the games you absolutely need to have him, he's hitting people in the head and and missing big games against the Bruins. But he was a very good player and he had a great cap hit. Um, Tyson Berry also same, even better cap hit, but he's expiring with a with his free agent status. Uh, and the he can't he comes over and he's playing terribly. So much to yeah. everybody's surprise, like, yeah, we've been critical of Mike Babcock. Never once was I like, yeah, he's going to fuck Tyson Berry up. No, I wasn't expecting to see that tank. And then you sit there and go, well, there you go. <laughs> like, that, that's probably the... You've said this for years on the podcast. It's often been one of his, his biggest criticisms of yours is he doesn't allow certain types of players to get to their ceiling because he wants particular things to happen on the ice. And, yeah, he wants to win two to one. Yeah, and Barry Barry is a good hockey player, but he is not that good that you can push him down a set of stairs and expect him to get up and and run away. He just can't. He's just not that good. Um, he's not defensively so great, and you want to be a defensive yeah. team. So that... I would love to see this team go off and just win a whole heap of games for three. For the next 20 games. Do you or, know what I mean? Or even 4-1 to one because they have the puck and the other team can't get it. Yeah, which is the whole theory of the way Dubas built the goddamn roster. And, and he, I, you and I believe in that. He, he said as much. There are some parting shots from both, <laughs> both, yes, both sides be. on yeah, that one. There should be. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that Mike Babcock and why he's even there and making $8 million a year. And I did a little thing about Mike Babcock being a hockey man, and that's the reason he was fired. Because 
hockey men do not evolve. Hockey men do not change. Hockey men don't think they're the problem. And he's a hockey man because he's been around a while. He's of a certain age. He has some titles behind him. But, you know, those Red Wing teams, I mean, there's probably like 20 guys in the league that could have done it. I could have coached that team to Stanley Cup. Me. The Canada stuff, a fucking potato could have coached it. (laughs) I mean, what was that blog back in the day? I think it was a Leafs blog, like, almost a decade ago, where the, the, the potato had certain rules as a general manager that they had to follow, and they put the potato up against, like, it must have been, uh, was it Nonis? Was Nonis Toronto? Oh, probably, uh, oh, hang on. Or I even Ferguson or whoever probably. was Probably, just, Fer- just say Ferguson, 10 years sounds about and, right. and the potato was better than him on logic. <laughs> the yeah. potato had no flexibility of making choices. I wish I, off the top of my head, could give credit to, to who wrote that because it was a really, for, for even um, in its time, was a really... It was such a blog of its time for for hockey Twitter and all that. But uh, I do believe that Potato could be a double gold medal winner. And lest us not forget that Mike Babcock's first gold medal was literally on a Sidney Crosby bad angle goal because they freaking almost blew it against a U.S. team that wasn't even close to being as good as them. That's the it's the it's the interesting thing with this particular sport is that when you try to reduce chances, you end up reducing your own chances, right? The way Babcock coaches, which means, as we always say, you have less coin flips, and a higher likely percentage that the other team will get one coin flip and it'll go in, particularly in an OT game for a gold medal. Like, it's just it's nuts. If you've got good players, let them have more cracks at the. Oh man. Those Detroit teams did not win enough. Correct. Like, they should have won more than one Stanley Cup. I reckon they probably should have had three in a row, but, you know. Their underlying numbers after Lidstrom, not very good. And guess what? Mike Babcock's Anaheim stuff. I literally had to go on Hockey Reference and look up every single game from the freaking 2003 Ah. playoffs because... Obviously, natural stat trick and, and sites like that don't go um, prior to 0708. So what I found out was the obvious. J.S. Jaguar was, what, a 945 goalie for the 21 games in the playoffs. Hey, and I was crazy. like, okay, he was a freak, but were they were they okay? Like, was it just he was great and they were good? No, they sucked. Um they were outshot 560 to 703 in the 21 Jesus. games. They got outshot 17 of 21 games. And two of those four games, they tied. So they only outshot was, the opposition twice in 21 games. What was the, what was the, total, what was the total shots again? Uh, 560 is what they, they had. And yeah, seven, 703 to, was... It's about five shots a game. And they gave up 33.4 shots per game. It was the clutch and grab era. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Defense. And mind you, like, I get it. Like, that Ducks team wasn't good. 
But if you're going to pump Mike Babcock up as coaching that team up, there should be some evidence of a team that was coached up. Generally, that would help. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not faulting Mike Babcock for getting a hot goalie and going on that run. I'm faulting people, like, using it as part of why he's good. No. Again, the fucking potato probably could have told Jaguar, hey, keep, keep it up. <laughs> yeah, it'd be uh, one moldy ass potato by the time 2014 came around but yeah. i just i don't know i i've always felt like he's been very very good at putting himself in situations that he can win and you know look at phil jackson it's kind of the same thing he's he, not he though win. phil jackson did win no no I different know, sports but... because your stars can carry you a little bit more Yes. Or a, a, a lot a bit more in basketball. Yeah, but the thing is, though, Jackson, you know, went and coached in L.A. once he went, yep, okay, I want to get back into it, but picked a good spot. Babcock picked a good spot to go from Anaheim to Detroit, when you look at what that, that roster was, and he picked a good spot to go from Detroit to Toronto. Yeah, he absolutely he just, did. Even though Toronto, yeah. you knew one or two years there was going to be a little bit of pain involved. Um, because they were transitioning, but you knew the talent was going to be where it is now. Like, that was a predictable thing as soon as Austin Matthews was on board. Yeah. So he did yeah, call his shot, and you know what? Didn't do so he hot. It. He did yeah. blow it. So, you know, I am, I don't want to say glad that he got fired. Like, I'm, I don't care enough to like wish bad things upon him. I, I I am glad that I get to see a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, attempt to hit their ceiling because I do not think with him they were going to hit their ceiling. And they're an entertaining group of players. And the, I'm very interested to watch them moving forward. Yeah, it's it'll be good to see the players let go. Because you could tell they were they were thinking so hard, and it's self perpetuating as well. Though, when you're a team that's expected to be doing well and you're not, you, you do start to second guess yourself. And then when you've got a coach that's asking you to do things that are outside what you've done your whole life and, and how you think about the sport, um, yeah, it it becomes self perpetuating and it can spiral out. It is interesting that it took till you know the quarter mark of the season. Uh, so you can't say that it was three games in and they went, no, this is garbage. Dubas definitely gave it a crack. And, you know, quite clearly a heap of people do not like it. It, it is interesting because you, you see articles and obviously um, I, I use Twitter for, for most of my hockey inf- information. Um, you do see a lot of, you, you know how you talk about Babcock being a hockey guy? You can tell the people on Twitter that are hockey guys because they keep complaining that the Ross is constructed incorrectly. They keep saying that they're missing grit, they're missing some toughness and some size. And it's like, that's not it. That is literally not it. The players that they've got are just not being given a chance to actually do what they do well. Not for nothing. You know, it's not like Dubas and him did not talk at all, or, or the group of people running that organization didn't talk about, you know, the yeah. game plan. Mike Babcock could have changed. He did he not. He refused, it. and you know what? You're on your ass now. You deserve it. Yeah, he don't charity himself, basically. Well, I don't think he was. 
<laughs> criticizing brown people, but... Got himself fired for not changing was the point I was trying to make. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, I do I do like the random tweets I see about Babcock. And, and a lot of them do come from Adam Gratz, who has um, been on the Babcock is overrated train for as long as the, the train has been put on a track. So <laughs> um, what his tweet was, there are currently 28 different NHL head coaches that have won a playoff series since Mike Babcock last did. And two of those coaches, Mike Yo and Barry Trotz, have won playoff series with two different teams. Jesus Christ. Yeah, best coach of all time or I don't well, that's not fair. I don't I don't think anybody's saying that. That I think Scotty it's, Bowman's it's, still it's, safe. It's easy to have that hyperbole about you when you're the guy that gets to coach a a team of superstars. That was the crowning moment. It was twenty ten, right? The The first one, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty much what baked everything in. You know, he'd gone Stanley Cup in 08, lost the Stanley Cup Finals 09, 2010, got to do the Olympics. And that once he won that and, or, and won it in Canada and all of Canada went nuts, the media was always going to be slavish about their praise for him. Well, and, and, Not anymore. And, and at that point, sure. But strip away and, you know, having the best team in the league or the tournament and go from average to below average and seeing no evidence of helping at all, if anything, hurting. So, yeah, and quite frankly, I think he has the same number of playoff wins since, um, gosh, I don't know what year. This is another Gretz tweet that I do not have in front of me. I think him and Dan Bilesma, but Dan Bilesma has more recently won a playoff series. Wow. Dan Bilesma hasn't done shit since, what, 2014? Well, By the way, that's five years ago now, so. Yeah. And Mike Babcock has been coaching every year since then. Uh, That's... It's. I think it's good for hockey because I think there are expiration dates on coaching philosophy in regards to how the players change and adapt and how their skill sets change and adapt. And Babcock has shown that he's refused to change the times. And, you know, all of these coaches that we're seeing right now, like Barry Trotz hasn't changed. You look at what Barry Trotz how Barry Trotz won in Washington and how he's winning with the Islanders. He hasn't changed. At some point, the way he coaches will fall apart. Like, how close do you... If he hadn't won at Washington, how close do you reckon he'd have been to not being able to get a job after that? Because he didn't win, in, didn't win in Nashville. Yeah, I think Barry Trotz is better than Mike Babcock, but point taken. Yeah. I mean, Barry Trotz goes to these teams, mediocre teams, and then there's improvement. Yeah, and that's the difference. That That is the exact difference between Trotz and... Give Mike Babcock the Islanders. They don't do shit last year. No. Although the fucking Islanders are still rocking 
thirtieth overall in possession and and winning fucking fifteen or taking points in like fifteen or sixteen games in a row, including uh, beating All the Penguins game. again last night in back to back overtime games. So uh, I think this is where we bid adieu to Mike Babcock and, and shift gears to talking about the Penguins. <laughs> You know they're they're hanging in there. They're in a wild card spot. They've had a hell of a lot of injuries, so um, I don't have a ton of criticism for where they are in the standings. They're treading water, and it's kind of where they need to be right now, treading water. Losing an OT works. You know that late rust goal helps. Getting a point in that game kind of helps. Well, it was so a lot with- lot better on. Um, Tuesday, when when they were the or no. Thursday, yeah, it's better Thursday when you're the team tying it in the last minute, rather than blowing it. Yeah, like they did Tuesday with the Ryan Pollock bomb from the point. Yeah, that's not great. But two out of but, four points is still half. This is why I hate the. I know the way the score system. Wait, you just need to try and use it while it's, it's like it. And if you can lose an OT, yeah, you're not getting two points, but you're also not falling back two points. So it's a, they're, theoretically, they're, they're playing 500 hockey. And until they get, I'd say, actually, hang on. What is actually wrong with the tank? Um, Was it lower body? Sure. <laughs> okay, we'll run with that. Um, so we've had we've had Crosby and Bukestad have to go in for hernia surgery. Um, after navigating a Malkin injury at the time. that was, I swear it was a hamstring, and Latang did he break anything? No. Like, I don't even... Gosh, I, I don't even recall what actually happened, now that you mention it. Because... Because usually those hernia injuries are like overtraining injuries. Now, Crosby and Bukestad don't train together, right? So it's not like there's a common thread here for something's gone wrong in the fitness construction of, of the team. But it's like, Jesus Christ, all in the one year? Yeah, it's like the mumps thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But... We'll blame Galchenyuk purely because he got bitten by a spider at the start of the year, and this is what set it all off. That's the spider thing's an afterthought with everything, but the spider yep. thing in a in another year, I feel like that didn't get enough run for what it was. But there was so much other stuff going on, it was tough to like focus on the spider bite. Also, it, the spider bite didn't come out right away. It was just kind of didn't Elliot Friedman like say something in passing? A little bit. So it was like not even like oh, Josh Yoey reporting it like it's a spider bite. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Well, that's the thing they say. You think about it. Spider Bite, he got really, really sick. He could have died. Like, that's the thing with these sorts of... We'll call it an injury, but it's an illness. It's like you go and get venom in your body. It's not great. No, I I would assume it's less 
than optimal. Less than ideal. <laughs> so, not great, Bob. This I mean, not great. as long as we're talking about the spider bite, um, let's talk a little bit about Alex Galchenyuk. Even with the spider bite, even with um, kind of starting the year injured, I had my reservations about the trade in general for the main reason. Either he plays great and now you're looking at a rental, or he doesn't come close to replacing 82 points in 82 games and now you're just a worse team for it and we're at the latter one i fully predict that he will go on a heater and score some goals and people will be like see this is why you got him then he's going to disappear again and then that's the thing though he doesn't really do much other than score goals He's a poor man's Kessel. You're getting all the shitty parts of Phil Kessel, but not as good as the good parts. Including missing hockey games, which Phil Kessel <laughs> doesn't do. If yeah, Phil Kessel it's... gets bit by a spider, the spider dies. <laughs> <laughs> or he bites its head off. So... It hasn't been a good start to Gil Chinyuk. Yes, I do think it'll probably get a little bit better. No, I don't think it's going to make up for trading Phil Kessel away. I don't think anything could, to be honest. I'm such a Phil Kessel fan. The Zucker thing would have came close just because it would have got rid of Jack Johnson too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that's like, yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, you are right. But the other option was, of course, you know, all acting like adults and keeping him, but didn't happen. And Alex Galchenyuk, um, you know, if you would have told us that we would go this long in between podcasts and we would both have the same amount of goals as Galchenyuk, that would be problematic. And it has been. He has zero. Yeah. He's had close calls. I mean, duh. Like, he's not a scrub, a complete scrub. That's not what the implication is here. Uh, but, you know, he's very dependent on that. And they don't seem to have anything in mind for him on the power play, like a specific role. It went when everybody's healthy. So, like... Right there, you, you you lose Phil on the power play, and boy, oh boy, I spoke how that might be a problem, and boy, it has been a, quite a problem. They have they looked really bad for a long time on that power play, and it wasn't one of when those, they, okay, maybe they, they'll get one. When they get everyone back, who do you reckon, who do you think is the Best right-handed passer on the team. Passer? Yeah. Huh. I'd go close to say Latang or Gensel. Gensel's a... Well, no, he's... Gensel's a lefty. Yeah. Because I would be extremely fucking tempted the way they're running this thing at the moment to just put Latang in the Kessel spot. Let Gino play the point. Yeah, I think I might have wrote that have, in August or something, maybe September. Oh, did you? Yeah, and then put and then put Gensel on the wall and sit down low. How many players have I got out there? Is that four? I think that's four. Malkin up top. Just, yeah, and then you just put Hawkist where he always goes because that never seems to change. So, 
Well, hang on, two. Yeah, I think that's five. Five. I don't think I put six out there. I just, I just think they need to have somebody out there in Phil's spot where they could be a threat to score. And no, that that everything is to the one side of the ice. And when the tag's not out there, everybody's left-handed. Um. I would be willing to try something along the lines of keep Latang where you you said the Kessel spot, Malkin up top, Galchenyuk on the circle, Crosby and you know take your pick Hornquist or Gensel down low. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna use if you want to utilize Galchenyuk's shot, like that's that's how you're gonna have to do it. Um, Sid being down low and interchanging with Galchenyuk that that should be fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, we got a lot of problems right now. Two of those people are currently out for weeks at a time. Uh, Look, as long as as long as they're back by the time we hit the middle of January, I'm good. And I I think the the breakout has has really struggled, and some some do not like the drop pass. But for the personnel that they used to have last year and the years before. That drop pass resulted in so many easy-ass controlled entries, and they don't get those anymore. they got to really struggle to to earn what they get now. And the entries haven't been as good. The power play itself. Sid being on the left circle, fuck right off with that. I just... It's so stupid. It makes no sense. His, his, best, his, best, his best attributes are by the goal line near the goal mouth. And at worst, you want to bump him away from that. Have him on his off wing so he can see the whole ice. Yep. And remain in a shooting position. The other side, he's as far away as possible and he's not in a shooting position. What the fuck's the point? Overcoaching. It is. It's ridiculous. Um, literally trying to say we can make this happen. So some of the other newer things, Brandon Tanev has been fine. You know, it wasn't wasn't going to be a Jack Johnson situation. It never was. Uh, He scored twice the other night, but offense isn't going to be his, uh, his contributions. He does really good drawing penalties. He's very good defensively. Um, he's the kind of guy with speed, like if you want to talk about a, a PK specialist, so to speak, the ones that I'm willing to entertain, he, he would fall into he, something I, I will like give that. him this. He can skate fast and he can move the puck. He can skate quickly with the puck on his stick. And transitionally, that's harder than I think some people. Like There are a lot of NHL players that cannot skate at their own top speed with the puck on their stick. Tanev can. And that's really handy as a penalty killer. And real. Five on five. Um, yeah. So he, yeah. he certainly has strengths. I mean, the contract is still trash. But yeah. he's there. It's not his fault. And, you know, as long as people maintain proper expectations and don't expect much offense from him and, and take it when you get it, like the two goals uh, that happened, that that's that's a bonus. Take Take that, but... Usually when that happens, you, you might want to win the game. <laughs> so It's a general rule, yeah. So that, that signing, um, when combined with Goodbranson and Johnson eating up space in the summer, cost them the ability and flexibility to do things. 
so that part's frustrating. Uh, but he, um, you know, he's he's been a good depth player. He's certainly the kind of depth player they've been uh, got away from, so to speak. Yep. He's kind, he's kind of the now. opposite of Matt Cullen right now in the sense that <laughs> Matt Cullen could still finish and produce offense. He was just shot everywhere else, just getting caved in. And Tanev is not getting caved in. He's he's the opposite of that, but doesn't quite have Cullen's finishing abilities or anything like that. So it's kind of a weird change, but it, um, you know, there's a role for him on the team, unlike you know, the criticisms we've levied at some of these other depth players they've overpaid for. One of which Erica Branson, since the last time we talked is gone and got spit on the other day. That's yeah. I was, that's just whatever. Like good grief. So they did good with that trade in the sense of they got out of it for nothing. Didn't have to take any salary. Didn't have to take a shitty asset back. They just got rid of him. But the damage was done. Acquiring him killed them with their cap flexibility and limited the amount of moves they could make. And yeah, when it, I'm, it I'm the, it, sorry, it's the frustrating. Sorry, it's the frustrating thing when he gets praised for getting out of the own, own out of his own problems, right? Yeah, and he held on. To, yeah, he held on to that problem right across the period where you could actually make some significant changes to the roster. Yeah, he gets absolutely no credit for this crap. And the people that do give him credit, it's laughable. And, you know, not for nothing, how many how many of these players are gone within a year because it didn't work? It's a growing, big-ass list. And usually at some point, you lose a draft pick trying to clean it up. This one he did so. Yeah, very rarely do you get away with it the way he just did. But you often burn an asset somewhere in the process of trying to correct your own errors. But I I have a feeling when Hines is canned in Jersey, we're already seeing signs of life from uh, Gusev, who had a horrible start to the year, but the whole Devils team was a complete mess. Uh, that four and a half mil is going to look frustratingly good, I think, still. But, you know, Pittsburgh did the Tanev Good Branson thing. And, you know, Pittsburgh's probably going to be looking to score some goals even when they're healthy because a lot of their wing support players are fringe guys that, you know, it. it you're asking a lot of these guys playing kind of in elevated roles, uh, Brian Rust included, and I know he's he's playing great, eight goals, 11 games. We've seen the other side of that, one goal in 29 games. He's not this 8-11 player. It's a great run. I, I think he's a fine player, but he's not a scoring winger. No. Gensel is, but past him... I don't know. Well, Gensel's on pace to get about 40-plus. He's, he's 39 was okay. the, the calculation. I Well, I'm only saying that because I calculated it for the blog. 
the other day. <laughs> Sorry, just that is not something I know head. off the top of my head. <laughs> Don't admit that. Because you, know, I, you sort of look down at the, the Penguins roster and you go, where are they going to get their goals from? Yeah, you're going to get the, the good guys back eventually and that sort of stuff. And it's like, I've been pleasantly surprised with the improvement of Cahoon as he's gone through the year. And if he does get 20 this year, which he's sort of ish around about maybe, um, they'd be happy with that. Yeah, that's I good. Think, considering he's playing on the third line. Um I suppose this t- that's what this team needs to have now, I suppose, is just players chipping in. But you've got to rely on the fact that they're not going to shoot at, you know, above 18%. Because if they were, they'd be top-line players. Do you know what I mean? So they're going to have to have a drop-off at some point. Like Russ, There's no way Russ is going to have a year where he is at 23.5% for the year. That's just not... I can't see that happening if he plays the rest of the year healthy. Can you? Like, be a fucking hell of a thing. I mean, it'd be great. But I just can't see it. It's the same with like Cahoon. Like he hasn't had a career where he's shot at fourteen percent. You know, McCann's shooting at twenty. These things just—that's just not going to stack up. Is basically where I'm at. So they're going to have to have a drop off at some point. Hopefully, it's when Latang and Crosby are back and and they pick up that slack. But it's a big gamble to have to rely on that. I mean, Gail Chanyuk on the on the other flip side of things isn't going to stay at zero. No, and as you said before, he will hit a hot streak where he will get his shooting percentage up to nine-ish, which I think is what it is career-wise. But I guess the other thing is, like, I was just speaking of players who get acquired and then they're gone within a year. I, I think Bugstad and Gail Chanyuk could find themselves on that list. Yeah. Especially Bugstad, he he's he's such a blah player. I know he's he was he probably was dealing with the injury stuff. I think you got to do two things with him: try him on the wing, get some offense. He had he's had a past history of having some of his better offensive numbers playing right wing. Um, whether that's with Sid or Gino, uh, take your pick. I I kind of think it would be interesting to see. Uh, him go with Sid and Gensel for a little bit and maybe have McCann play third-line center. I think Cahoon technically has played center. Galchenyuk has played center. That is actually what he was supposed to be. (laughs) And, you know, you can leave uh, Rust with Malkin. Well, it feels like they should until Rust goes cold. But... The other option being trading him, because that's four mil, and he's playing at a really not moving the needle level. Yeah. So, you know, there are options to be had. I, but you know, for all of what we've just been saying, um, I can't lie. The underlying numbers are what they are, and they're pretty good. Yeah. Near the top, which is very encouraging for them if they can get some finishing ability added to the roster. So, so this this is probably the this is probably my my question. It's like it looks like they need to add some offense in the forwards and some offense in the defense as well. And I'm like, where's the 
Where's the higher priority? Shipping somebody out to bring in some offense for the forwards or bringing somebody in to get some better puck moving for the D? So I think it's harder to do the, the back end of the roster, but I think that's probably where they could do with that improvement the most. They're they're feasible now that Gabranson's gone and Jack Johnson's not playing in the top four. They're finally playing Johnson on a bottom pairing, and, you know, don't look now, but his numbers aren't atrociously where they've been because he's not in an elevated role. How can that take two years for that to be worked out? Why why would you even bother attempting? (laughs) This is is sort of what I mean. It's like, general manager comes and says, oh, I've got you this player, and we've got him to do this role. They've got a really good stats guy there who would not have... It it wouldn't be hard for him to go, here's what happens when he's on the ice, here's what happens when he's off the ice, here's what happens when you play him in this role, and here's what happens when you play him in this role. It couldn't be that hard. Like, how pig-headed do you have to be to keep fighting it and fighting it and fighting it? Or, I think, which is even worse, not trusting the other teammates around him to go up the line up above him. Like, if they get there going, Jack Johnson's our best second-pairing defenseman that we can have because we feel like he's the only one that can bail out Justin Schultz, it's like, well, really? Why the fuck are you paying Justin Schultz $5.5 million to get bailed out? Yeah. Like, it's, it's just... By the way, he's got his own problems. Things. Correct. He's no saint here. But you sit there with it, and it's the logic behind the thought process that freaks me out sometimes. Well, this I'll say about the defense, and this is going to be a backhanded compliment because John Marino has been a very nice addition and has played really well. And he's the kind of player I've been writing about for them to, the kind of unproven players, cheap acquisitions, to try and see what you have because they're puck movers. And the backhanded compliment is you fucked this up for two years and you sucked. And not only that, it wasn't the GM. It was Kevin Stevens and uh, I forget the other individual that were the ones pushing for this. So for those that want to give Rutherford credit for everything, well, he didn't do this one either. (laughs) All his defensive choices have been dog shit. And it he will, hasn't changed. And it will include Justin Schultz if he gives him an extension. Yeah, I, I want him to just play here for the year and go. How do you want to be the next person to give him the contract? Yeah. Like the, and I, if, you're, if you're Schultz, you're asking for five and a half at a minimum. Like, with what he's done in the last couple of years, that's what you're asking for. Yeah, he hasn't really you're been asking good, for it though. over six years. Even his points haven't been good. I know he's been hurt, but like he hasn't really yeah. been good. He was really good when he came over because he was sheltered in a third-pairing role. Which, if you go and find another defenseman that, ever, well, he was fine with. Shelter. He was fine with Cole in a second-pairing role before Latang went down. Yeah, but if you if you can find another person that would fit that second-pairing level of a Justin Schultz type, like a Tyson Barry because he doesn't quite get it right. Well Schultz down I'm being a smart ass there. No, no. Schultz down 
I was thinking before Toronto, I I was not anticipating them doing the Babcock thing yet. Yeah. And Barry, there was whispers on Hockey Night in Canada with Elliot Friedman about, you know, this is a contract year for Barry. Maybe both parties would want to break away. And I was started to get my thoughts going and you know okay how about justin schultz as a rental for tyson berry oh by the way you also need a backup goalie desperately here's tristan yeah. jari or casey DeSmith. and that's where i was headed you, with it as well you hold back half of schultz's money and it equals exactly what Barry is making. It fits. This year. Yeah. So, it fits. like, obviously that's not happening. Barry literally scored last night his first goal of the year <laughs> with the new coach. So, I mean, this that whole idea was um, not <laughs> probable to begin with, but it's certainly not even feasible at all anymore. But the I'm reason I wanted to do that, that <laughs> is because you don't want to you're not, you don't want to be around at the end of the year with Schultz anyways. Barry's no. a pending free agent. Maybe you think about giving him money. Um, I don't think like that contract's going to look good for his next team either. But the the John Marino thing, um, t- being twenty two and you know he's he's at like twenty games played, so I don't want to um, you know make a giant leap w- without uh, a safety net. That- kind of thing he's yet. not the next paul coffee no what? no but you can see him doing the things that contribute and help um create success for the forwards and why it took so long to take a chance on somebody with such a low cost of acquisition and cap hit it's asinine these are the type of players you, you take chances on and Would what I, and who it? the fuck knows what the Oilers are doing? He's exactly the kind of player they they need. Yeah. Well, so is Schultz uh. for that matter, <laughs> and so is Jeff Petrie. And you know, they, yeah. boy, they're really good at the right-handed defenseman uh, analysis. Uh, you know, I don't think Adam Larson was as good as Taylor Hall. So they they got a really twisted sense of value for right-handed defensemen. Does, does that come from? Yeah, I say this knowing that, that management and coaching staff should not be as affected by the media and the fans as I'm about to suggest probably happens in Edmonton, but is that such a nutty bubble of hockey in Edmonton that Schultz came in and everyone was like, well, he's going to be a puck-moving number one defenseman, right? And they never pushed him off that. The coaching staff that were there and, and the general manager and all that, they just they would not shuffle him well, down the lineup. Desperation because there was nothing else. They needed <clears throat> it to work. Whether yeah, that was well, fair to him or not, which by the way it was not, um, and he's never going to be that guy. And he's barely a second pairing guy in the sense that um, he's got to be sheltered. His usage, he's deployment dependent, and there's no way around that. It just seems so simple at times when you watch it from a, you know, a hundred kilometer viewpoint. You're way away away from it and you see it. It's like it must, you get into the day-to-day mechanics of trying to win a game and try to have a successful season. Maybe coaches just get stuck in the weeds. 
They, but they, they, they do. That that's a natural thing to happen, and well, yeah. a lot of times that I've noticed, when Latang goes out and Dumoulin has to play with someone else, numbers aren't really great, which is why I've always kind of been a little tepid on the praise with Dumoulin. Not that he's he's not a good complimentary player, but you know he's not driving the bus by any stretch. We, we've seen what happens with like Hainsey and stuff like that. I mean that wasn't fair to him, but the point the point <laughs> still stands. If he's as good as he's supposed to be, the numbers wouldn't be in the low forties. But are with, you with John Marino? They're really with, good. Are you happy with four point one as a contract then? If that's the type of player he is. I mean, yeah, I'm okay. I'm like I'm personally I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah. Because he can log a lot of minutes and and do a good job if you, if you help him. There's value in that. There's value in being able to play with good players and not drag them down. Yep. But just understand the limitations there. But I'll say this about Marino. We have a large sample of other partners with Dumoulin uh, away from... Latang that haven't gone so hot and the early returns on this one have been really good. So when you watch the games, what do you reckon there's going to be a, a puff piece about Dumoulin and helping the young kid along at some point through the year? Well, I'll write a puff piece on how Marino made Jack Johnson look passable before it. Yeah, but you 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 are right. It's lit, you've got a. Set of numbers that show that Dumoulin struggles away from Latang. That's the that's the to... problem with the puff piece concept, though. Like, that's what. I'm, why is it gotta be? To. Why why is it? Why you gotta create that? Why why can't it just be these two are a good fit? And it has nothing to do with Brian Dumoulin being a veteran. It, it's just their skill sets match, and the coach is putting them in positions to succeed. Because it's the easiest thing for people to understand when you do these five minute puff pieces in between periods. That's all. It's just, instead of getting there and looking at it and going, well, quite clearly, Marino has a little bit more skill than some of the players that Dumoulin was forced to play with when Latang goes out injured, and quite clearly the two of them complement each other quite well. And because of the fact that Marino has a little bit more skill, they have to puck a bit more. Therefore, Dumoulin doesn't crater into the 40s when he's without Latang. There's a market for that, I'm telling you. Yeah, look, we both know this. It's not a market we double in. Nothing we just said talked about Corsi or anything. Didn't mention like anything like that. You can have these conversations and and still get the similar points across without having it turn into a very dry with um with the dumb vernacular and I don't mean dumb like the people that use it are dumb but like it's dumb to use that vernacular in that setting because no one wants to hear it that way it's why I would never yeah. talk to my players I coach that way I'm not going to talk about Corsi I'm going to talk about the things that lead to it and you just use you it as a measurement it's, it's a measurement tool yeah so you know got that um, I'm trying to think Done pretty okay going down this roster. Any? I want them to play Murray less. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
he's having a rough month. Oh, it's not about it's not about his current play. It's just, it's no. This it's, is more a it's more a keeping him together until the playoffs start if they make it, which could be a problem in regards to not playing him. If you're gonna if you're really struggling to to make wins, you're gonna end up playing your number one guy more. That I get. He's never done but well if, with um, the high I volume. Mean, for you know all I've said about Mark Andre Fleury, he he handles the high volume better than most. Yeah, but his best years in the playoffs were the years that he played less than fifty-five games. I don't care whether you can handle it through true. and do that. This is the problem with goaltending. You have to have a tandem. You have to have a guy that you can play for fifty-ish games, and another guy you can play thirty-ish games and be happy with the guy that plays thirty. Toronto's biggest issue at the moment is the fact that they haven't got a backup at all, and it's like theoretically Pittsburgh have got two. It, they, Murray should not be playing as many games as he is right now. He will burn out. Keith's going to have the, the goalie dust, though. He's going to sprinkle it on the backup. <laughs> no, but you're right. I'm just saying, he's he's only getting paid 3.75 mil. So it's not like you're paying him 8 mil and you go, well, shit, we've got to get our money's worth out of him, so he's got to play 60. Like, you're paying him the right amount of money to, to, to split the year. So split him. Jari's only started four games, but they've all been high-caliber starts. Well, his goal to gas is under two, and his save percentage is above 920, so... Well, his save percentage in his four starts is actually in the 940s. It was the Bruins game he came into for Murray oh, that drags <laughs> the other stuff down. And when you're only talking about four-and-a-half-game sample, I mean... It's going to fluctuate severely due to the one game. But change, he's yeah. played strong. He deserves a look. And quite frankly, you know, I, I was pretty skeptical of, you know, putting DeSmith down after the year he had last year. So was DeSmith. <laughs> well, I, you can't fault him there. No. But Jari's been, in the time he's played, it's been good. So why not? And And chances are... In a few hours, he's going to be the starting goaltender tonight against the Devils because it's yeah, a back but they're to back. back-to-backs. No, I know. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. You're right. He should get a non-back-to-back start at some point. I'm not, I'm not so much worried about it for him. It's more a matter of Murray. Correct. Just, yeah, that, that's all. And I'm like, this this team, the, you need to try and put this team in the best situation to win every playoff round that they're going to head into. And they didn't do that last year. And having Matt Murray play 55-plus games this year is not going to be putting them in the best spot to win it. I'm sorry, it's just not. And, and Murray, and to your point, I know you were talking about the load management of it all. The, the, the gameplay itself, the last seven games, he's only had one quality start, I think, and that was against the Blackhawks where he was like a 930, 940. Everything else is like... 800s or very low 900s. Every goalie runs through this patch. Yes, and it's that every is, year. Yep. Every like, every New York fan that I ever talked to about um, Lundqvist says he has this patch in the year where you think he's lost it. He's terrible, and then the next minute you know he turns back into the king, and he's unstoppable for the rest of the year. Well, so every so does go- uh, Fred, Freddie Anderson every October. Yeah. A good point, actually. But yeah, it's the thing. Like they all run through these these patches where it's just they're out of sync. So 
probably just go Murray, they Jerry, go to Home Murray, Depot, Jerry. <laughs> just have to go Murray, Jerry, Murray, Jerry until Murray comes out of the funk and then probably make it two for Murray, one for Jerry, two for Murray, one for Jerry. And that probably gets you to that 50 to 30, you know, 50 for Murray, 30 for Jerry volumes of games played. And, and you probably play Murray the last five games going into the playoffs unless there's a back-to-back in there. And then off you go. Like, so baffles me. I think they might start to contemplate those those things. So, um, you know, Sid, he's looking at New Year's ish coming back. Latang probably a little bit before that if if their week to week label was was accurate. And then yeah. you gotta hope Melkin doesn't uh, blow up. Look, dude, I got a trip to the States, middle of Jan to middle of Feb. I know. No more injuries, all right? <laughs> Maybe they're getting all out of the way for you. This is the last time I'm going to get to see all these, we'll see Sid and Gino together. So, no injuries. All right. <sighs> I was going to say I won't say these things, but then I remembered I have no power over any of this. I could say whatever <laughs> I want. <laughs> But yeah, that, and that's the thing with sports, man. You, yep. People in your boat going over for NBA games now and getting that load management shit. And they well, don't. And they place, don't even play back to back nights, do they? Um, very rarely. I, I I think that the I think they might have actually put it into their CBA that they can't. And they just flat out sit those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look at Kawhi. Well, this is the thing. My favorite player is a goalie, right? Now, I watch in Vegas three times when I go over. Yeah, but as I already mentioned, they run... <laughs> in his career, Marc-Andre Fleury plays. And they don't have no, he... a backup goalie, so... That's the thing. They don't... Subban just hasn't done what they needed him to do for them to play him less. I, but... I think it's likelier you see him all three times than none. Well, that works out all right, then. I can deal with that. Right. I mean... The challenge is to try and meet him. That's the hard part. Don't tell him you know me. No, I'll keep that one on the down low. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's a great person, I've been uh, a little hard on his career. You have have made it very clear that it it has not been the person that has been the problem. It has been the performance of said person. But... He's he's been good in Vegas. Yeah, that save the other night. Yeah, is typical. typical Got Babcock fired. Yeah, typical flurry though. Out of position, athletic. Yep. Yeah, it's great to watch. So, Maddening when he's your team's goalie though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else tickle your fancy? No, I don't think so. I think um, Team Penguins doing a pretty good job overall. Underlying numbers, great. Very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Encouraging. Moving forward for when they do get healthy. And as long as they don't sink in the standings, they, they should be okay. The only problem when I look at the wild card standings that Toronto and Tampa are behind them right now. Yeah, that makes it tough. Like you would assume that they would 
pick up and I do Florida think Toronto's going to pick up for all the reasons we talked about. Yeah. Cuz the other thing is Florida is are good. winning and Bob hasn't been great. So if Bob turns into Bobrovsky that we used to know, then Florida are going to be tough. Carolina's and not going get, anywhere. No, and you get to the back half of the year and it, everybody's going, shit, we've got to make up points. Banking points, you say this every year, banking points early is really important. So it's going to be getting points when they lose. That's a bonus. Going to be tough to catch the Islanders, whether they're an actual good team or not, because they've gotten points in like 16 straight. Yeah. And many of them, game. many of them, like, yes, technically they're on a point streak now, but they were on a, like a 12 game winning streak or something. Yeah. So these aren't yeah. just points. They're points. They are banking um, to the point where it's going to be tough. They're, and they're not going to pull a Buffalo Sabre thing and, and lose no. like as many in a row. They're doing exactly what they did last year. This is no fluke. Whatever's going on on the island is is it's legit. Not quite as legit as it is in regards to how many wins and the points they're getting per game, but their quality. I don't like what I watch when I watch them. It's not fun to watch, but it gets them results. Yeah, so I think the next time we we t- we chat, I think the, the the aforementioned Sabres will probably be part of it. I think they're really, I think Botterell's really trying to make some trades for forwards. And from what I gather, waiting on some long-term injury reserve situations on some other teams to resolve. So could be could be interesting moves coming from them because they've been just straight fucking trash. How did you inside of that one? Or have you just been paying a bit more attention than I have because you live in the area? I, th- I thought I saw WGR 550 tweeting out a Dregger thing. Right. Fuck, they've got a lot of UFAs next year. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just to sit there and you look at it, and it's like, holy crap. Yeah, they should have some money to play around with. He could really overhaul that roster if he wanted to. I, like, I think you're right. I think trying to do something about it now would not be such a bad idea because they started well again and they've just fallen off a map. Well, two years in a row now. I mean, honestly, if I'm Jack Eichel and I don't see things changing much... You... I ask out. Goodbye. Absolutely. And that would really suck for Buffalo, and I know this area loves him. I don't think the area would be necessarily mad at him. They'd just be disappointed that they fucked it up again. Yeah. I don't know. I think more and more people are understanding the player side of things these days. Oh, I think more and more people understand that your best hockey's played 27 and under as well. You know, you and, and then he deserves hockey. to not waste it away. Yeah. So yeah. that could be a future topic. Uh, Mike Babcock being hired by somebody could be, although I don't see New that. Jersey. What, what's that do? He just proved he couldn't win with a good roster. What? What's he going to do with the Ducks? Uh, you know what? That's probably been a little bit unfair on Shero. Shero doesn't do that kind of shit. He usually usually recruits from within, usually promotes from within and brings them up. So that is a little unfair on Sharon. But the point you made is very. Well, what very about good Dan Bilesma? Over oh. 
And, mm-hmm. and and the other coaching rumor I heard, well, maybe Mike Backpack will go to Seattle. And it's like, fuck no. They're like the most analytically driven team. Everything yeah, they've done is work. analytics. They're going to look at him and be like, uh, no. Actually, their coaching hire will be really interesting Bruce to see Boudreaux. who they pick. Yeah, that would be good to see, actually. I will say Bruce Boudreaux for any team I kind of half like. Well, you just want to see them go all out, don't you? <laughs> well, he's being, he he's, he's being wasted in Minnesota. Well, yeah. He doesn't deserve that job anymore. And what I mean by that is they don't deserve him. So. Can you imagine his Penguins team with him? Like, you go, you go back to when it was... Like, he was the perfect coach for that Capitals team. And you just go, I wonder what Pittsburgh would have been like with him when you look at the horses they had through that era as well. Oh, he would have done, it would have been, at worst, you know, you can't guarantee cups. Uh, no. It would have been fun as hell. Yeah, that, and that's that's sort of what I mean. Like, it just, it just would have been great. I also would like to see him win a cup. Just, I, I think his coaching philosophy and what he does and, and how he makes the game uh, come alive with what he gets his players to attempt to do, it, it's just more coaching like that would be better for the sport. Mm-hmm. So, there's a tangent. Whoops. Yep. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's my turkey. Gobble gobble. Um. <laughs> so I hope everybody has safe travels here in the United States. Uh, what does uh, summertime for you? It is. What any uh, November holidays? Uh, no. No, no, no. We sort of have nothing between, well, now and Christmas, really. It's just work all the way through. Kids are wrapping up their uh, university studies at the moment. Um, Schools are, like, high schools are going into their exams. So they're all getting to the fun part of the year. Nice. That sounds pretty great, actually. Uh, The rest of us have to keep going to the office. The grind. (laughs) The Mike Babcock grind. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. We'll leave on that note. (laughs) Safe travels. Happy Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon. Bye.